Guys, this morning we are going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, if you've got your Bible or maybe your phone, you can look up our notes in the Bible app. If you go uh, to events and then click Church of Cane Bay, you will see that right there. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, finishing up this Storytelling God series and looking forward to kind of launching out a new uh, series next week. Um, when I was growing up, I played uh, all the sports, right? So, well, at least soccer and t-ball, right? So... Uh, soccer was <laughs> soccer was my favorite because there's so much activity and so much action going on, and it was really kind of easy to get lost in the midst of everything that was going on. And so I mostly ran around and tried to not get my shins kicked all the time, and it was a lot of fun. T-ball wasn't so great because it's a little more like slower pace, right? And so I was a kid who got put out in the outfield for good reason. And uh, so I would hang out back there, and I would just get down and play in the grass and in the dirt, and my coach would yell at me, and uh, it was good times. But every year, no matter what, when it came to the end of the season, uh, they would come and pass out trophies. And guess what? I got a trophy. I got a trophy. And that is really probably why I wanted to be involved in sports to begin with, because I had the shelf in my room, and on that shelf were like all my trophies. And it didn't matter how well I played because I didn't play well, I got a trophy up on my shelf. And the guys on my team who were just like incredible and did a fantastic job got the very same trophy that I got. Like it didn't matter. You didn't have to try. You didn't have to work hard. You just got this trophy. And when I think about it, that trophy was grace, right? Grace is when we get something that we don't deserve. I didn't deserve that trophy. There's nothing that I really did to earn it. Uh, I probably made somebody fall down in soccer because, like, I fell down and then it tripped them or something. But I didn't do anything to earn that, but yet I got this trophy anyways. In the real world, it's a completely different deal, right? We work to earn the trophy. We work to earn the title that we get. We work to get that pay raise. We go into the office and clock in and clock out so that we can get that paycheck at the end of our pay period. And this is all thanks to the system that we live in here in America that's known as capitalism. We're used to capitalism. We see it as something that's totally fair because we grew up in it. It's what makes sense to us. And it's why we get frustrated when our kids get trophies and they don't earn them. Because we are so used to the system of working for something and then earning that very same thing. But I think that because of this system that we are in that sometimes we have a hard time understanding grace. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding the kingdom of God and how the kingdom works differently than this kingdom uh, that we live in these days. And so I mean, we're going to do a couple of scenarios, and I want you guys just to stick with me here. If you need to close your eyes to get your mindset in the right place, that's fine. But just think through this. So imagine, imagine that you have been working at your place of work, your place of employment for like, say, 10 years or so. You've been there a long time. You've worked incredibly hard the whole time that you've been there. Uh, you've gotten raises as you've gone um, to get you to a point where you're comfortable and you can take care of your family. Things are going good. You've got a good background, a good education for it, and, and you've just done a killer job. And so your boss goes and your boss hires someone to like work the same kind of position as you and this person has been working there for one week and then after a week your boss says hey you know what i'm going to give you a raise and your boss gives that person a raise to the same level of pay 
that you are at after working there for 10 years. I want you to tell me, how do you feel about that? Angry, upset, right? That's not fair. I've been working here for so long. Or, or maybe you have a best friend and your best friend just won two tickets to Disney World, right? And you guys have been friends for a long time. And you've been with them through thick and thin. You've cried with them. You've walked through all kinds of hard stuff with them. But guess what? Two weeks ago, they met this like other person and they think this other person's really cool. And so when it comes time to go to Disney World, they take that person that they met two weeks ago instead of you. How do you feel? Bad, sad, depressed. Where did I go wrong? What did I do? How am I finding myself in this situation that I'm finding myself in? So we look at things like that and we say, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not the way that it should go. Well, Jesus is telling a story about this very same thing in Matthew chapter 20. And he starts it off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so Jesus is obviously trying to teach us something about the kingdom. Now, we've talked about how the parables of Jesus often point to the kingdom. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, than he talked about really anything else uh, throughout the Gospels. And so it's very important to Jesus that we understand how the kingdom of God works. That we know it's not like America. It's not, I work, I get paid, but it's a completely different system. And we often call the kingdom of God kind of the upside down from what we are used to and what we understand. And hear me, as we get into this this morning, Jesus isn't telling us how to run like our systems and how to make sure that everything is handled rightly where we live today and in our context. But he wants us in our context and in the world that we're used to, to be able to look at things through a kingdom perspective. He wants us to understand what the kingdom of God is all about and not have that be blocked by our American viewpoint. And so we're going to be looking at what I think is one of the most fascinating parables that Jesus tells. And um, every single time that I read this story, it, like, it kind of makes me angry. And I hope, honestly, that you guys have that same reaction today and that we can look and see what God wants to do through it. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to, be, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So we've got this story about this guy. And this guy's a wealthy guy in his day. He owns this vineyard. And so he heads out to bring in guys to work, kind of like seasonal labor, work in his vineyard. Uh, to come and work that day. And that day, they worked in 12-hour work days. And so you can be thankful that most of us don't have to work 12 hours a day. But these guys are working like 12 hours a day. And usually it's probably 6 a.m. To, to 6 p.m. And, and so he goes out at 6 a.m., very first thing in the morning, he finds these guys hanging out in this place where people get hired for this kind of work. And he's like, hey, guys, I want you to come and work for me, and I'm going to agree to pay you what he called a denarius. Now, a denarius was... 
um, basically like a day's wage for a, a worker, like blue-collar kind of work. And so this guy goes out and he says, they make an agreement, they make a contract, you come in, work for me for 12 hours, and at the end of the day, I'm going to pay you a denarius, a day's wage. Now later on, about 9 o'clock that morning, he goes back out and he sees some more guys and he says, hey guys, you're still hanging out here, listen, you can come work in my vineyard. He changes what he says though, he says, when it comes time at the end of the day for you to be paid, I will pay you what is right. So he didn't agree to pay them a whole day's wage, he agreed to pay them what is right or what is fair. And so he brings these guys in, sure enough, noon, that day he goes out, brings some more guys in, three o'clock he goes out and he brings some more guys in, even to the point where at five o'clock, with just one hour left in the day, he goes out and he finds even more guys. And he's like, why are you guys standing here? And they're like, well, nobody's hired us. Now imagine most of us, if we stood around for 11 hours waiting to be hired and there was only one hour left, we would probably already be gone and just go home. But these guys were still hanging out there. And so he's like, well, come on, work for an hour and I will agree to pay you what is right. Now, when we think about what is right or what is fair for these guys, we, so we have like a base wage of like a day's work for these guys who work 12 hours a day and they get paid this one denarius a day's wage. And so we would imagine that this is kind of a sliding scale system, right? That these guys who worked a, a little less and then a lot less, that they would get paid a lot less. That's what we would look at and, and consider to be fair in this kind of situation. There's a great story in the Old Testament about a guy named Hosea, and Hosea was a prophet of God. And it's one of the more interesting stories that you'll see in all the Old Testament because God does something that we would think is kind of not characteristic for God. That God one day speaks to Hosea and he's like, hey, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Now that seems weird, right? It seems kind of strange. But Hosea obeys God and he goes and he meets this woman named Gomer and he marries her and, and they have uh, several kids together. And one day Hosea wakes up and looks around and guess what? Gomer is gone. She went back to her old life. She left her husband, she left her kids and went back to the old life that she used to live. Now Hosea, knowing that God had called him to marry this woman and to have a covenant with this woman says, I've got to go get her. And so he drops everything that he has. He, he drops all that the Lord has blessed him with and his kids and everything. And he leaves and he goes and he finds Gomer doing the very same thing that he found her with the first time. And he goes to Gomer and he takes her back as his wife and he brings her back home. No matter what she had done. And it's this beautiful picture of grace. And it's this beautiful picture of how God pursues us at our worst no matter what we've done, the Lord is going to run after us and find us and bring us back home. We're actually going to be doing a new sermon series, like I mentioned a minute ago, starting next week on that story of looking at Hosea and how it's this beautiful picture of what God has done for us. And so I hope that you guys will come and be a part of that. It's going to be exciting. But what, what I love about Hosea is Hosea imitates God as he pursues his wife. And this is what God's grace does for us. God's grace pursues us over and over and over again, like this master who comes out in the morning and brings workers in, and, and later on at 9 a.m., and he brings more workers in, and 12, he brings more workers in. He goes out again at 3, and then at 5, and he brings more in. He's always pursuing these people, and I don't think it's because he necessarily needed their help. 
At 5 p.m., he didn't need those guys to come in and do an hour's worth of work, but he wanted to be helpful, and he wanted to make a difference to them. God's grace sees us in that way. It finds us in our moment of need, in our moment of needing help, and, and he pursues us. Even when there's not a lot of work to be done, God just wants us. He just wants to know us. He just wants for us to be a part of his family. Because it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away from him you are. God wants to pursue you and know you. I think we can kind of respond to this in a couple of ways. Number one, um, stop running from salvation. Stop running. You may be here this morning and you've been running from God and you know that he's pursuing you. You've heard him reaching out to you and, and speaking to you through his word and through, through uh, the teaching of his word on, on Sunday morning and maybe through worship. You felt God calling you. You know that Jesus is pursuing you. You've heard the message of the gospel. You know that Jesus left his place in heaven to come and pursue you so that he could know you, so that he could be in relationship with you, that he wants to take your mistakes, he wants to take your sin, he wants to take those things on himself and have them defeated on the cross so that you can have life. Jesus is pursuing you. And sometimes we just need to stop running. And if that's you this morning and you feel that and you felt that, I pray that today is a day that you stop running. You'll have that opportunity to do that. Another thing that we can do is stop working for our salvation. Stop working for our salvation. You see, to the master, it didn't matter how many hours these guys worked. He wanted to be good to them. He wanted to express goodness to them and bring them in. You can't earn God's grace. No amount of work that you ever do is ever going to be good enough. I love Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It doesn't matter how good you are or how good you think you are or how much you've done. Your best is not good enough, and it never will be. But God is desiring to be generous and to pursue you and to know you in a real way. And we've got to imitate that. We've got to learn what it means to pursue others with the hope of the gospel. So I was standing back there when Charlie and Whitney were on the stage a few minutes ago, and I'm just amazed. I don't know if a lot of you guys know, but um, when I was a youth pastor downtown, Whitney was in my youth group. And so I've known her longer than I've known anybody else in this room. And uh, I had the joy of baptizing her, and I've had the joy of seeing what God has done in, in her life as she's grown up, just to be an incredible woman of God. And I, it's amazing to me that she is dedicating her life to imitate God and pursue people who are far from him overseas. And that's what God's calling us all to do. That's what God's calling us to live out as believers. Whitney, I'm super proud of you. So proud of you. So excited. So God's grace pursues us at our worst. But number two, God's grace is generous. Let's look at verse 8. It says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. 
So this is kind of an interesting twist to the story. And so the master tells the foreman, he's like, hey, bring the guys in. It's the day's over. It's time to pay them. But I want you to pay them starting with the guys who came in the last hour and then working your way down to the people who've been here all day. Now, that seems kind of weird, right? I mean, you would imagine, man, if I've been out there sweating for 12 hours, like I'm ready to get out of here. And usually, like I would be the first one to get paid and get sent home. And the guy who's only been an hour, like he can stand in a line. It's not a big deal. But that's not what the master does here. Instead, he flips it and he brings these guys who've been working for one hour and tells them to come in and guess what happens when he pays them. He pays them an entire day's wage. He pays them for working all day, even though they only worked one hour. See, the master here is going above and beyond. He is being incredibly generous as he gives to these guys. I've seen some really like clear pictures of generosity in my day. But one of the clearest pictures that I've seen was a year and a half ago, my wife and I adopted our two little, or brought our two little girls into our home. Um, This church was such a great picture of generosity to our family. Uh, We had meals for weeks, more food than we could possibly eat. Uh, So many clothes donated, more than our girls could wear in a lifetime and toys and books and you name it. And I was blessed to have over a month off from work so that we could spend time getting to know each other and becoming a family. And those were all sacrifices that this church and the people of this church made in order to bless our family and to be generous to our family. It's such a clear picture of generosity. And this is who God calls us to be as a body. In fact, it's one of our uh, guiding values as a church, this idea of generosity, that we are a people who are generous that we're going to give without thinking about getting in return. And God is generous to us in that same way. He goes above and he goes beyond what we could possibly need and possibly imagine in every way. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God's not just full of grace, God is rich with grace. He has more than he could possibly ever need. And guess what? He doesn't just give it to us. He doesn't just, doesn't just give us what we need, but he lavishes it upon us. God wants to be generous with grace. He wants to find us at our weakest moments and give us more than we could possibly ever need if we're willing to take it and accept it. This is what God wants to do is to be generous. Ephesians 2, 7, another one. says, so then in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is so rich in grace that there is no way that you can possibly measure it. You can't put a number on it. You can't define it. But God is so rich and he gives to us so richly in every single possible way. He always goes above. He always goes beyond. He always gives more. And our job as his followers is to receive it. And that's a great place to be, to receive the goodness of God's grace, which is so rich and he wants to give to us so much. But we have to be careful that we don't hoard it for ourselves, but that we're generous with it as well. That where God has given us grace and God has given a blessing, that we be people who are gracious and a blessing to others as well. So God's grace pursues us. God's grace is generous. Lastly, Verses 10 through 16, God's grace isn't fair. Let's look at verse 10. 
says, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, Look, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. If you put yourselves in the minds of these guys, you can kind of think what you're expecting, right? Like these people who have only worked for one hour got paid for working a whole day. So I can imagine I'm standing next in line, and I got hired at 3 o'clock. That means that I've worked for three hours. So when I see someone who only worked one hour and they got paid for a whole day, guess what I'm thinking? I'm going to make three days worth of money. Like, this is a good day. But what happens is they get up there and know they only get a denarius. And it goes down. Those hired at noon get a denarius. Those hired at nine get a denarius. And then the guys who've been working there all day get up and they only receive the same. And they come to the master and they're like, listen, what's going on? Now, if we were in their shoes and we were standing in line and we're realizing what's happening, we're going to be like, come on, man, what's the deal? Like, we're going to tweet about how we hate our boss and he doesn't take care of his employees. Like, if we're really mad, we'll probably go Facebook Live just to show the injustice that's happening in the world, right? Like, this is not fair to us. And these guys are in the same boat. They're seeing it and they're like, what is the deal? How can you pay them the same as you paid us who have been working all day long? Think about what we talked about earlier. That scenario with work and the guy who's been working for a week. and We find ourselves in their shoes. Like, that's not fair. And the ticket to Disney World, that's not fair. And the workers are in this position, and the master responds to them in, in two ways. And first he says this. He says, listen, there's no injustice here. You agreed to me to work for a denarius. You agreed to work for a day's wage. We had an agreement, and we had a contract, and I honored it. So... Go, take what's yours and get out of here. But he also says, listen, I do what I want with my money. He's the boss. He's the owner. He can do as he chooses. And we're going to be like, but you didn't give me what I earned. Like, you didn't give me what's, what's mine. And we miss the point of the fact that it's not ours to begin with, that it's his. And we treat God's grace the exact same way. Where sometimes we'll be asking for something from God and you're like, God, give me what I deserve. Give me what I've earned. Give me what I need in this situation. And God's saying, it's not yours. It's mine. And yes, I want to give you what you need. I want to lavish you with grace in a real way and in a way that makes a real difference in your life. This master says, listen, don't begrudge my generosity. If I choose to be generous... Don't complain about it. Don't whine about it. Do you really want to stop me from being generous? See, guys, grace is bigger than fairness. Imagine if these guys, just think about this. If when he brought them to, to time to pay at the end of the day, that he had just flipped it. And the guys who had worked all day, like, got to be in the front of the line. They would walk up. They would receive their day's wage. And guess what? They would have walked off and been completely happy, right? Because they had no clue what was happening to the people behind them. 
But it's the fact that the last was made first and the first was made last that really got under their skin. None of us want to be in that place. Our natural tendency is to not want to be made last because the world tells us that being last is the worst place to be. But yet what Jesus tells us as his followers is that that's exactly where he wants us to be. To put ourselves in this position where we are behind others, where we are last. And we get jealous when other people are made first in that situation. And I don't know why. I mean, I know it's our, our selfish human nature, and it's probably part of how we grew up here in America and the system that we live in. But we have a really hard time looking and watching other people succeed and other people make it when we're not. We have a hard time looking and seeing other people being blessed when we're not being blessed. Or at least we think we're not being blessed. And we see those things happening and we're immediately jealous and we say, that's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It's not right. It's got to be different. And Jesus is saying, no, it is. And you need to be there. Because you need humility. You, need, yes, need to experience my grace. But you need to know it in a real way that glorifies me and sometimes puts you last. See, this master was good to every single one of his workers. Right? He showed grace to most of them. And he agreed and honored the contract that he made with the guys who had worked all day. There's not a single one of them that he wasn't good to. God is the same. Think about Jesus. Jesus, the one who created all things, who made all things, whose scripture says he holds all things together, seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what the one who really deserved to be first did? He came and he made himself last. He left his place in heaven and he came to be like us and then lowered himself to be a servant of us to the point that eventually he gave his life so that we could experience grace in a real way. Jesus made himself last so that you could be blessed. And he's calling us to do the same thing in our own lives. See guys, the best thing about grace is that it's not fair. The, be the best thing about grace is that it's not fair. It's so much more than fair. That's what makes it grace. The fact that it isn't fair. It's, it's far and above our human concept of what fairness is. Do we really want God to be fair with us? Do we really want God to look at our lives without seeing us through the sacrifice of Jesus and be fair with us? No. No. It would be one of the worst things that we could possibly do because in that scenario, there is no way that we are good enough to receive grace. It's ridiculous. There's nothing about us that's holier or more righteous or deserves more than anybody else because at the foot of the cross, we are all on an equal playing field before our Father who loves us so much. We should not want to be judged on anything that we've done. Biggest mistake that we could possibly make would be to ask God to judge us according to fairness rather than grace. Because we're never going to win in that way. It's never going to come out good for us on the other side, but it's our natural reaction. 
We want to be judged by what we do because we work hard and we do all this great stuff and somebody needs to appreciate me and somebody needs to see what I'm doing and, and give me praise and encourage me in the midst of it. But that's not the way of the kingdom. If we received God's blessing based on our performance, his blessings would be minuscule because our performance is exactly that. But God gives free to all, no matter how hard we work or how long we've worked. He is more than fair and he is more than gracious. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said this, he said, Perhaps the most difficult task for us to perform is to rely on God's grace and God's grace alone for our salvation. It's difficult for our pride to rest on grace. Grace is for other people, for beggars. We don't want to live by a heavenly welfare system. We want to earn our own way and atone for our own sins. We like to think that we will go to heaven because we deserve to be there. Charles Spurgeon put himself in that seat of thinking, hey, what would it look like if I went to heaven on my own merits? And he said this, he said, if heaven were by merit, it would never be heaven to me. For if I were in it, I should say, I'm sure I'm here by mistake. I'm sure this is not my place. I have no claim to it. But if it be of grace and not of works, then we may walk into heaven with boldness. We can walk into heaven with boldness. We can walk into the kingdom with boldness because we choose to let God lavish his grace upon us and realize it's not about anything that I've done, but it's all about what he has done. See, what we get from God isn't a wage. It's nothing we earn. It's not a reward for the work we do. He doesn't give us a contract that we have to meet quotas on. But instead, God gives us a covenant where he promises everything and delivers everything. It doesn't matter our work. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done, but it's all about him. God's blessing doesn't reward our work. It just proves that he's generous. I read a story about a church in Texas a, a few years ago, and um, this church in Texas uh, was located um, pretty close to a, a gentleman's club in, in their community, and the community was upset about this place, and they were always trying to, to get it shut down, and the pastor of this church was driving by it all the time, every day, trying to figure out what he needed to do about it. And uh, he, he took the time to pray about it, and he decided that it was finally time to take action. But instead of starting some kind of campaign against this place, he began to teach his people about compassion and grace. And pretty soon, a group of women from their church would go, begin to go to this club and spend time with the ladies who worked there and encourage them and love them and help meet the needs that they had in their life. And it was kind of this revolutionary thing, and everybody's looking at this from the outside and saying, what in the world is happening? But you begin to see these ladies at this, at this club begin to give their lives to Jesus. And pretty soon the owner of it is saying, this is really strange. I want to know why this is happening. And so one day she decides to show up at church. And she went to church that day and she heard the gospel and she responded to it. And just a few weeks later, that club was shut down. Not because the church started a campaign against it but because they decided to be people who pursue people far from God and love them with the generosity that God has given them in his love. It had the very same effect. There were lives netted in the kingdom because of the 
grace that was shown in that situation. Guys, we have got to learn to pursue others because God pursued us. We've got to be generous with others because God was generous with us. To look, look past the, the fairness and our ideas of what all that is in this world because Jesus looked past all of that for us when he died on the cross for us. And we've got to do the same. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We imitate Jesus and what he did and how he shows grace. That we go beyond what culture does as the body of Christ. That we show grace to people that the culture wouldn't show grace to. That we stop viewing people far from God with an American lens and start looking at them with a kingdom one. That we ask of our neighbor and our coworker, how can I be generous to them? That we ask of the people in our communities that are constantly trashed by our neighbors and on Facebook page and saying, how can I pursue them? How can we be what God has been to us, to so many in our lives that God has placed us among, that we are able to live and show grace to them? Like we said earlier, there may be some of you here this morning that are trying to work to earn it or you're running from God. I just want to say again, you don't have to do that. The band's going to come on up and we're going to have some, some time of worship and I'm going to be standing in the back. And if that's you and you feel like God is pulling you, that he's pursuing you and that he wants to know you and you want to respond to that, I pray that you'll come back and experience his grace that is far greater than any sin and any any problem any brokenness anything that is in your life he wants to know you and i'd love to pray with you i'll be standing in the back or for us as a church guys we've got to realize and be thankful for the incredible amount of grace that god has shown to us and ask the question how can we begin to show that same grace to people in our lives that god has given us so that they can know him and experience him in God, you are good. And I know we say that all the time, and I know we, we talk about it, and, and we like to think that we really believe it, but I don't know that in our daily lives and the busyness and everything that happens, that it's always first on our hearts to realize how just how good you've been to us. That we get distracted by things. We get distracted by what able to accomplish, ultimately not even accomplish on our own merit and through you, but because of that we feel like we're owed something. And we forget about the fact that you've already given us so much more in abundance than we could possibly ever want. So God, help us not to want to find our, our approval and what this world has to offer, but to seek the riches of your grace for everything. 